Hello, I'm Steph. And I'm Al. And this is The Source, a podcast from Chicken and Chips Casting. Conversations with people we love, talking about things we love and hate or feel strong feelings about. And it's all no BS. This episode of The Source is brought to you by We Audition. We are big fans of this platform and we plug it relentlessly in workshops and with actors. We hear so often actors can't find a scene partner for their audition and this is the immediate solution. It's a global platform that helps you find a scene partner on demand through video chat for rehearsals and self-tapes worldwide. So if you need an accent or just decide to tape at 2am, We Audition is where you'll find someone. It also enables actors to meet casting directors, agents and industry experts for one-on-ones through video chat. Sign up for a membership to access actors and industry professionals all around the world. You could also be a reader for other actors, which is a great way to continue practicing and playing with scenes. We're offering our listeners a 25% discount on your membership when you use the code SOURCE25. That's S-A-U-C-E-2-5. Head to weaudition.com to sign up. SOURCE25 for your discount. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the last one of the year. It's the end. But it's not really the end. It's just the beginning. No, it'll never be the end. That song? How weird! I feel like it it was like two seconds ago. We were like, we're new podcasters, and now here we are wrapping up a season, a whole season. It's been fun. Yeah, there is no rules as to how long a season can be. So even if it was one episode, it's like, (laughs) yeah, we did one season. I mean, we spoke to some really interesting people. We did. It's been a great time. Yeah, learnt so much. Yes, a lot. Um, But also, do you want to start with our source this week? Yes. Well, it's a shared source, obviously. Another shared one. So are we going to do the thing where we count down again and say it at the same time? Yeah. See how well we can think what the other one's going to say. Three, Three, two, two, one. one. We won an actor award for (laughs) best indie film. (laughs) Oh, my God. That was fucking terrible. It's never good. Okay, we yeah, best indie film, Ellie and Abby. Yay! Oh my god, we. I keep looking at the video. Um, if anyone wants to see it, it's on the Ellie and Abby Instagram page. We'll put the link in the show notes. The moment that um, Ben and Michelle announced, announced it. it, we were at a viewing party. Um at a pub and I have never felt equal amounts shocked, proud and absolutely gobsmacked. Like I was so shocked. I don't think I've like genuinely squealed from happiness in a very long time. Like I was just in shock. I couldn't do anything. I just had my hands over my mouth the whole time. (laughs) It was like I fully squealed. I don't like a little girl. (laughs) It was so nice being with Mon and Patrick and Mavine and everyone who worked on the film and, and watching Soph. them and Soph and watching them win it was just so nice. Yeah. Cause so like nice. most of the team was there. It was nice to catch up with everyone. Yeah. 
And I just think everyone was so genuinely shocked that even though it fully deserves it, but it's just, it's such a humble team. Yeah. I guess no one. Yeah. No one wanted to get their hopes up and then it didn't. It was just so nice. Oh, and because I think we were nominated alongside some fucking amazing films. So, really? you know, like just, yeah, the talent and I'm, I mean, I'm just so like, yeah, proud to have even gotten as far as a, a nomination because I think that's I like amazing. Yeah, huge, 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 huge. Great source, great time. That's a great, and it's a great way to end 2021. Yes. Fuck off, 2021. Well, I feel like we've done pretty well. Like our 2021, even though it's been like shit and I don't want to, you know, make it reductive for many people who have experienced many hardships. I think it is important though to look back on what we've achieved and I think we've we've done some amazing things this year. Mm. So congrats you. Congrats you. What Woo a team. Us. <laughs> Woo us. Toot our own horn. Toot toot. Yeah. Now we're woo girls. <laughs> um, right, well i guess that's um that's the last source i mean we'll, we'll have many on our return yes we're returning for for a second season in 2022 yep woo yep. us woo us go go <laughs> us we're still going. still going and hopefully um we'll get a little bit more efficient because currently I'm like the most disorganized podcast producer in the entirety of the world. I wouldn't say that's entirely true. Um, but look, we're finding our feet. Yeah. I've learned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just here for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, another one of Steph's rides. Another one of my ideas that you've gone, well, this is your idea. So all the best to you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'll turn up when you tell me to turn up. Yeah, which in fairness is quite good for me because it means that I I have to like drive it a little bit, which I'm not the best at doing once I've had the idea. Mm. Um, and so I will say that, yep, that's it's been I a good time for me. I think you've done great. Thanks for showing up when I send you the Zoom link. You are welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Is for this thing on? Is this thing on? I'm here. Who are we talking to? Um, that's not true. I am prepared no. for every yes. conversation. Yes, you are, and you bring some very amazing questions every time. So, thank you. Much like our guest today. <gasps> yes, our guest today, which I think we've um just tapped into a little bit of our like side interest, which is yes. climate change um so i think we yeah we've really tapped into that a little bit in this podcast and this chat and i think you will all enjoy it you will love it um, for the end of season one of the source and thanks for thanks for listening today's guest is actress and change maker marie lowes marie is a storyteller and collaborative story maker she uses video, words and action to advocate for people and planet, moving in the pursuit of collaboration and restorative reciprocity. Marie's love for planet Earth has been watched on TV and social media by millions of people across the globe and in 128 nations. 
Her alter persona, Dirt Girl, of the international hit TV series Dirt Girl World and Get Grubby TV on ABC here in Australia, has evolved beyond the screen to walk alongside First Nations communities, farmers and families, and together they are writing a better story for the future. As an actress and changemaker, Marie has worked with the likes of Vivid Sydney, the Climate Council, Planet Ark, the NRL, Groundswell Giving Circle, Kellogg's, We The Many, and international cult brand, Spell. 2021 and 2022 will see Marie become the first Australian ambassador for the family-founded come global force for good Dr Bronner's. When not in front of the camera, Marie is also a craftswoman with words and community. While she was the online community manager at Me, Me, Me Productions, their small but mighty team won an International Digital Emmy Award for their progressive multi-platform storytelling. Marie's writing has been published in Peppermint Magazine and Yoke, and in 2019 she co-founded the hashtag Attention Scott Morrison campaign, which reached around 25 million people in just 72 hours and trended on Twitter in the US and here at home. Most importantly, it empowered Australians to speak to their elected representatives. Marie's professional experience is grounded in her endless curiosity, lived experiences and formal academic study. She has completed a BA in psychology with a double major in Indigenous studies and is currently undertaking her master's in disaster resilience and sustainable development through the United Nations and the University of Newcastle. Marie also holds a certificate in permaculture design. Altogether, many roads, some asphalt, most dirt, have led Marie to where she is now, at a unique intersection of environmental education, mental health and TV and film. But wherever she goes, from having her hands in the red earth to her feet on red carpets, Marie uses story to write love letters to this planet. Welcome to The Source, Marie Lowe's. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you <laughs> for joining us. Yeah. This is fun. We I'm haven't seen you in ages. I know. I know. This is how we see each other these days, but this is good. Like yeah. I said, if this is an excuse for us to have a catch up, I'm so happy about it. I know. We've made an excuse to just catch up and hang out with people just by starting a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But you're recording... Where are you recording from? I'm on a Wobbacool and Waramai country, about probably two hours, 15 minutes north of you two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've just been up on, been travelling through Bunjalung country on the northern rivers and Gumbanya country. And then I went through Birupai country. I hung out yesterday with a whole heap of lily pads <gasps> at some wetlands. It oh, was, my God so truly magical and then now yeah I'm back down here for a little bit beautiful and what are you doing on this adventure um I was kind of finding my way home after being uh up north during lockdown I left like within days of before the lockdown happened here in um Malibimba in Newcastle and so yeah I was up there and it all worked out really um perfectly and with incredible depth of synchronicity it was great but um yeah it's time to be back down here for a bit so yeah it's just fun on my way home love it I love that's that. perfect it sounds like um 
barefoot wandering. Mm. <laughs> it kind of was, and I have some bindi pricks in the <laughs> soles of my feet to testify to that. <laughs> oh, love it. Hardened. Well, um, you, I mean, there's so many different ways we can go with conversation with you. You're a, a truly fascinating and impressive human. Um, but I guess it's you've got a muddled background in a way um we know you from entertainment world um but you are also very prolific in the environmental world so um i guess if you could give us a bit of an intro into um how you ended up in this kind of muddled landscape yeah sure so i guess i grew up um on the north coast where i've just been hanging out um, at the intersection of Gumbenya, Bunjalung and Yeagle country. And there were paddocks to the horizon and animals in our backyard that were both pets and also wild where we were in their habitat. And, you know, mum and I would go to Norco and buy bales of hay. And, um, but there was also lots of culture happening in, in our town in Grafton. Um, and some incredible storytellers came out of um, the generation that I was lucky to be a part of. Um, people like Bridie Jaber, who um, works with The Guardian now and is on the drum, um, the McClymonts, all kinds of different storytellers. Zoe Coombs-Ma, um, really interesting people. And yeah, so I had also parents who were very engaged with stories and um, their channel for engaging with people's stories was through social justice. And we really never had times in our family that um, being of use to community and being of servitude just wasn't at the forefront. We talked about politics at the dinner table um, and that's both great and also complicated. <laughs> mm. um, and yeah, and so I got into acting and music and telling stories that way with social justice at my core. And then I guess because I spent a lot of time in nature, over time, my sense of servitude shifted to being about the planet as well as about people, human animals. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and then I combined the two um, when the creators of Dirt Girl World um, asked me to be a part of their story. And then over time, I've been fortunate to, to be on country with traditional owners, to hang out with farmers and families. And my connection to the fact that we are nature has only gotten deeper. And um, my sense of responsibility to the kinds of stories that I am a part of telling and how I fit into that and where I do belong and don't belong and whose voices need to get heard that's only um, percolated more for me over time. Amazing. I know. I just, when you when you said politics at the dinner table and it gets complicated, I so resonate with that, but not growing up. I'm, I'm experiencing that now as an adult and trying to have like adult conversations with my parents who still think that I'm 12. Mm. <laughs> it's very difficult. Um, yeah, complicated is a good word. But it's nice because you've grown up with it. So I feel like you'd have a real yeah. handle on how to deal with it, which is important. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting time. I think um, we're at a time where everyone has a platform to be heard. And that's, that's in, an incredible opportunity um, because as humans, we are meaning makers, you know, that's why story is so powerful for us. Um, but I think because of the way that, 
these platforms are structured, even like algorithm wise, it's taking a lot of us away from hanging out in nuance and in the details and yep. in the process of how we decide what matters to us and how we hear each other. So I, I'm, I really am hoping that over the next while we all can find a bit more time and space for the conversations and to hear each other. Mm. Yeah, huge. Mm. So now you, what's the timeline in, I know obviously social justice and everything has been such a big part of your life from a young age, but at what point did you go to decide to study uh, psychology and Indigenous studies versus acting and performance, did they cross over? Yeah, it's all a bit messy, really. <laughs> uh, it's it, Yeah, it's kind of like a tapestry rather than like a linear path forward, mm. you know. Um, uh, I moved to Sydney from, from the North Coast when I was pretty young. My mum died when I was 15. I went to Spain for a year and then I came back, hung out on the North Coast for a little bit and then auditioned for a hip-hop show with the Australian Theatre for Young People. And I auditioned via video from my house in Grafton oh my and God. then moved to Sydney to go and do that. How cool. I did not know that about no. you. Yeah. Yep. Um, I am not, I wasn't a hip-hop dancer then and I'm still not a hip-hop <laughs> dancer now. Um, but I was really into writing spoken words particularly political spoken words. So that's what got me through the door, I guess. And then went straight into, I, was, I think I was like a little bit of a, a lost country girl in the city at the time, even though I didn't think of myself like that. And so um, someone called Becky at the Australian Theatre for Young People 15 years ago, or I'm going to say 16 years ago now, um, when I was finishing the hip hop show, she said, hey, we're doing um, another show next at the Museum for Contemporary Art. And it's a reimagining of an artist named Rosemary Lang's um, photography. So I went straight into doing um, a performance piece there um, in the MCA. So it was really cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and then I did that and, um, and, <laughs> I had a, a boyfriend at the time who was going to uni doing like political science and I um, started going along with him to his classes. Now, this isn't a big university. This was on the Central Coast at Arimba. So yeah. the classes are really small. Like everyone knows who everyone is. It's not <laughs> like you can just fit in the back of a UTS lecture hall. So I was like suddenly the, you know, 14th person in all of his classes and making like more notes than anyone else who was paying to be there. Just like getting this smorgasbord of, you know, politics and psychology and yeah, and, and then I decided that I wanted to go to uni for myself. Um, so I applied and, and started that. And it was in my first year of university here in, in um, here up at Wallatooka and the Uni of Newcastle where I was doing psych and Indigenous studies that um, I was asked to go and audition for Dirt Girl World. So then it just sort of became this ongoing, you know, parallel of the, the two. Wow. And were you already very um, involved in nature in a public sense? Did people know you as um, 
the dirt girl kind of because I feel like you are you've molded into one dirt girl became Marie <laughs> in a way yeah not really I mean like like I said growing up mum would always take us to like um rose garden displays on weekends or bushwalks and we had like you know thousands of guinea pigs or hundreds of guinea pigs over the years that I used to sell at the local Alamy Creek markets and things like that but it wasn't part of I guess my persona I was vegan as well for a while when I was like 12 through 14 which is kind of you know um, controversial in a dairy farming and pig farming family so like it was it was part of my private story but definitely not publicly um and at that time I didn't really understand that I didn't have to be a dramatic actor to participate in storytelling I I thought okay I'm gonna have to be like Abby Cornish or Mm. you know like which an incredible path and an incredible storyteller you know um but there's so many ways that we can participate in storytelling in media and um and be part of films or and now like with you know these things with our phones um there's so many ways you can change the game and change what's getting out there so yeah so it just sort of unfolded over time as the times changed because when I was in high school phones just weren't capable of what they're capable of now Mm. so you know it's it's changed for all of us since then yeah that's an interesting point you make about participating in story storytelling without necessarily having to be a dramatic actor Mm -hmm. I think that's like such a an important insightful statement because it is so true Mm. um and since I think Al and I could probably agree on this but since having kids it's certainly like opened up our world into what storytelling is particularly what we show our kids and I think the first time that we met you was at or when we saw you was at an international day of the girl event at oh yeah ABC in Ultimo and you came dressed as Dirt Girl and I completely (laughs) lost my shit. Mm. I was like, oh, my God, Dirt Girl. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, I must, I have to find a way to know her because (laughs) she's amazing and Ziggy was just absolutely obsessed with you and still is. Mm. Um, That was a really joyous day. That was those young um, people that we were hanging out with were incredible. Amazing. I can't wait Mm. to get into rooms like that again now Mm -hmm. that things have like started to, like events have started to ramp up again. Mm. Yeah. It is really interesting, I think, because I still love being part of um, dramatic kinds of content that are really affecting and help people have empathy for experiences outside of their own. I so love that. But it's been really nice um, coming up through film and TV and media and seeing uh, people find all kinds of different paths. There's friends who I know thought they were going to go into dramatic kinds of um, storytelling and then have totally found their place in comedy, you know, or um, like sketch comedy as well. And there's so many intersections now where people can really totally engage and employ their skill set and their talents and their hearts and minds and really find their unique place amongst it all that's right and that's yeah. so nice it's like there's the whole thing of don't pigeonhole yourself too early don't think that mm. you are something um and 
we were talking about this last week, I think, about being a bit of a yes man and taking on new experiences and just being open to what they bring to you because, mm. yeah, you might find your little pot of gold that you didn't think. Or just knowing knowing what it is you're good at. Like you just said you, you did hip-hop dancing or whatever. But, like, you know, if someone – like I think, I think it was Socks. He was saying that there was a girl in one of his classes that he – um, coaches and that she is a dancer and he was like you just like maybe you could lean into that and as soon as you start opening up these other doors then thing opportunities just come at mm. you rather than you know bashing your head against a wall in one area you know there are so mm. many other different ways to to open the door for yourself I think mm. rather than I waiting think- for someone to do it for you totally totally couldn't agree more with and- that Interesting, I think you're both right. I think there's a time to explore and then there's a time to crystallise what that exploration has been up until then, you know, and it might shift again. But um, it's taken me a long time to really be able to to work out where I kind of fit. Um, well, I remember I was in a, a play when I was 14, I think, and it was a Commedia dell'arte play with masks and we got off stage at halftime and our director just went us. Like he just had a go at everyone. And then he picked me and he was like, and you, you do too many instruments and too many things. You'll always be a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I remember being like, whoa, like, okay, inappropriate one. Mm. But two, like, but I love I love what I'm doing and that's what matters for me. And so I have had a long time where I would just explore or participate where it felt right. And then I've also more recently wanted to, I guess, honour the communities that I've been a part of and really, like I said, crystallise a little bit how I can reciprocally give back and sometimes that is about finding your voice and sometimes it's also about knowing when it's time for someone else to be heard and how you can facilitate that storytelling. Anyway, I've diverged a bit, but that's no, kind of that's where great. I've got to now. I think that's, no, yeah. that's good because that leaves me into a question of um, I think a lot of people want to be involved that way and want to be gracious and grateful to their communities, but I... I genuinely think people find it really overwhelming or difficult to know how to do that. So it'd actually be nice to hear your advice on how people can, I mean, you've figured out acknowledging that sometimes it's just to let people talk and give someone else a voice versus where you can be involved. But like without a platform necessarily like Dirt Girl or a public space, how can people be giving back to their communities and learning more? How do they begin to do that? You know, we touched on before how easy it is to have a voice and an opinion um, now more than ever. And I think at this tipping point in humanity and this tipping point in planetary boundaries, it's a really great time to listen, to listen really deeply, to understand that while, of course, we feel a sense of urgency about what's happening with the planet, and um, and, a, and a sense of urgency to do something. If we're not coming from a place of deep listening, then we run the risk of continuing to perpetrate the issues that have got us here in the first place. 
So, you know, a lot of what's happened with our climate also ties into colonisation. It's about domination and depletion. It's about exploitation and extraction. It's about dehumanising some people so that they can be exploited while others can have more access to resources or power or privilege. And I think if we're not really deeply listening um, and also examining ourselves and tuning into ourselves often, then it's easy to not change the framework even though we're trying to do differently. And this is a time where we really need to be looking at the frameworks of what we're doing and, and how we're living. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Listening. Listening, yeah. It's that whole thing of thinking before you act. Take a minute. Yeah. 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 And I think spending time by ourselves in nature mm. so that our connection with the planet isn't just through Instagram and also with community, spending time actually in community. You know, I was just talking to someone um, a minute ago, not a minute ago, but <laughs> the, the call before this one, um, and I was hearing about this incredible project where um, a guy who was um, 18, he heard that there were kids who couldn't go to school in his town um, with having had breakfast so he helped um he just started by making sandwiches he got two loaves of bread with his mum and made sandwiches and from that day on he just that was his point of contributing to his community um he heard that there was a need and then he made a few sandwiches then everyone came back and said okay we need heaps more of that and so then he scaled it to be a bigger project and I think they've just um made their millionth sandwich recently oh, my God. oh that's amazing you know so like sometimes when we feel urgency we insert ourselves in places that aren't the most useful place so I think by listening and having that humility um it can help us to then find a place where we can be of truer purpose and use mm. and I say this as someone who has certainly not always done that I am learning this myself um, and there are definitely times in the past where I wish I had listened a lot deeper or taken a lot more time um, before I acted. So I think we can only just keep trying to get better at it, be better listeners. Mm. There's all th things that we come away from, but they're learning things, you know. You learn from those experiences and you think, oh, well, I did yeah. that thing and I, I'm not going to do that anymore because that made me look like a fuckwit. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah and sometimes like you know you can take time to do the learning and reflect in isolation but we have to be in interaction with others to continue that learning so mistakes are going to happen they're yeah. going to be necessary mm. um for you to continue the learning I guess so yeah I mean nobody's perfect we talk about this in like in a casting sense in terms of diversity mm. you know that's right yeah like, we're all learning we're all learning about things and we can't get it a hundred percent right all the time but we're willing to we're willing to be you know educated and learn from other people and our then own mistakes build, yeah, yeah and then build on that and make sure that the next time we do get it right mm. yeah totally and I think it's about the questions we ask not necessarily about having the answers mm. that's what matters and being able to say I don't I don't really know you know is there a way you can give me some guidance on this or who can I ask as well because it's not everyone's responsibility to to educate those who are 
newer on the journey you mm. know so yeah it's a really interesting time I think as much as there's so much uncertainty and it is like it's been an objectively fucked time and it, it's also a scary time but there's so much opportunity at the moment for us to do things differently and like we said for different voices to um, sit at decision making tables mm. and that's like a fucking relief to me you know like mm. I think there's something really good in that that we can tune into how how do you think COVID has impacted the climate change conversation because I felt like at the end of 2019 particularly because I'd followed your career like we followed your career for a really long time I felt like there was a lot of momentum and the conversations were really starting to happen, particularly around um, the 2020 fires. And, you know, it started to become a real urgent problem for people and everyone was talking about it. Mm -hmm. But then obviously COVID happened and it was like within moments it was just uh, put on the back burner and no one, you know, I think from a personal perspective I just checked out of all media so I stopped reading anything to do with anything because I was just like in this hole of like, fuck, the world's going to end and, it's, and I'm so depressed and I'm and I can't plan for the future. And so I was just in this really weird, bad place. Um, and so now just coming out the other side of it and getting like regaining information and learning about what has been happening in the last 18 months. I feel like, yeah. Do you think that COVID impacted the conversation and sort of? was negatively impacting it? I mean, I think it's um, it's complicated. I think, so, you know, I was I have been, I had to have a break while I was caring for my dad um, through the last part of his life, but I had been doing my master's in disaster resilience and sustainable development through the UN and through Newcastle Uni. And, um, Previously, we had been, you know, talking about disasters, what they call natural disasters, um, and pandemics didn't kind of rate as highly, you know, in those conversations, but they are part of the things that can um, fundamentally dismantle our systems and our modes of delivery, the things that allow us to live uh, our lives as we expect to day to day. So it's been... Um, I don't want to make it reductive because I know this has really affected so many people's lives. A lot of people have lost their lives. They've lost their livelihoods. Even conversations around vaccinations have really divided families. It's, it's, there's been so much there. But I, I think it, as well as that truth, it has given us, particularly in the Western world, a lived example of what it's like to navigate mass change for humanity and and we've seen where some of the strengths are and where some of the weaknesses are we've also seen the, where the cracks have been easier to shake open or have just sort of collapsed and then where some of like our private sector or our governments um particularly in western sovereign states are not wanting to allow change to happen even though it's abundantly clear that change has been needed already for quite a while like with you know, climate change and COP22. We're just seeing seeing where economic, short-term economic drivers um, 
really are getting in the way of the meaningful change that we need for, for well-being of humans and non-humans. So I think it's been it's been interesting in that sense. I wish there hadn't had to be so much pain um, for, for that to be witnessed. But in, in the disaster resilience uh, sort of industry, they talk about cascading disasters. And we're not looking at a future of cascading disasters. We're living in a present time of cascading disasters. And it's going to require all of us to really shift where we uh, get our resilience from, I think. Um, we've in the Western world been conditioned to consume, you know, um, as a way of knowing who we are and a way of feeling better about things. And I think when, when a lot of those mechanisms shift, the questions come up in us about, you know, if, if work doesn't define me, what does define me? If, if I, I'm not buying a dress to go out on Friday night, what, what, what am I going to feel good about, you know, on Friday night? Like there's so, I, I know, again, that's a bit reductive, but there's so many questions that we're going to need to keep asking of ourselves as the parameters of what's possible shift because they're going to shift so much in our lifetime and our children's lifetime. Mm. I think that's, yeah, it's massive. And I do think that there was a, a big mentality change over COVID, even in that um, valuing different things. I think people ended up realising the value of humans and um, community so much more. I don't, I think everyone took that for granted. And then instead of buying the dress, I think people put more value on why well, I get to see people now yeah. um, and it becomes more about connection and yeah so I think that that's been a positive. Well I think it's what you talk you were talking about before is that we should all get back out in nature and I think that's what everybody that had access to it did mm -hmm. um, and I mean I know I speak from a highly privileged position of having like been able to swim in the ocean and things like that but you know there a lot of people were outdoors as much as they could get outdoors because they were reduced to the four walls of their yeah. apartment or house and that's just torture as and we've all witnessed. Yeah, and the activity is, was not revolved around a restaurant or, or, or drinking a shopping centre. Or, yeah. Or a, yeah, like I definitely did daily bushwalks with my daughter because mm. that's what we did, all yeah. you could do. Yeah, so I guess in that sense, there's positive opportunities as well. Mm. You know, I think I, we talked before a little bit um, about nuance and something um, that a friend of mine says, Kate, is that, you know, multiple realities can exist at the same time, like multiple truths can exist. And, and so really, I guess that's the answer to the question is I think it's been a really harrowing time and, you know, like there was videos circulating. I've been offline for a little while now, but I remember last year in 2020, there were videos circulating of animals appearing in urban waterways where they hadn't been and how wonderful is that? And the air was clean around the Himalayas. And, you know, there's those, that's a, that's a truth. And then we also have all this PPE plastic yeah. you know ending up in our environment masks being discarded with no regard for where they're going that idea of a way just being so pervasive when there's no such thing as a way 
Um, so, you know, I think we have to just keep being gentle in ourselves and, and finding some thread to carry us through the ups and downs so that we have capacity for the nuance and capacity to, to look at what we're learning in a positive way, as well as what we're learning that's profoundly challenging. Cause mm. that's what, that's what now and the future is going to ask of us as humans. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And we learn, we're just learning what level of resilience we need. And now we're starting to learn the, the multiple disaster resilience. It was one, then it became another. Well, it's and the knock-on the, effect. Yeah, it's the, yeah, it's the multiple disaster. Mm. Scenario. Cascading and, disaster. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then it sounds then, so horrific when you put it like that. I've just <laughs> gone down into like yeah, this black no, hole of despair. I might be under a table later. <laughs> please i mean eco grief is real and we all need to allow ourselves space to feel it i think you know even if we're not consciously thinking about it we can feel when we're in ecosystems that don't provide for us we can feel when we're being overstimulated by amount of people or light or sound um so if you need to get under that table get under the table yeah. i think yeah. you know and feel it um, but then the, the antidote for that is to then go outside for a walk around the block. And I guarantee you, if you are tuning in, you will see a sun plant or a butterfly on a flower or smile at someone and say hello. And it will just shift that energy a little bit. Mm-hmm. So the only way is to like step outside and, and be open to connection because that's got to have some redemption for us as we navigate this. Yeah. <sighs> breather <laughs> and also this is a very small point in time and it's not to minimize the loss of biodiversity that we're facing or the damage that you know um colonization has done there's things that are irreparable and and things that we need to be doing a lot more to you know um to take responsibility for um so Again, that can exist, but it's only been a short period of time that, you know, Western culture has allowed us this level of convenience and this level of comfort and humans are deeply resilient. Like in you, in yourselves, you have ancestors that, you know, never lived the way that we do. And they had some of the resilience that we're going to need to have, you know, and there's living cultures on this planet who have incredible wisdom about resilience and how to um, have respect for our natural resources in ways that are very different to how we're used to, you know, getting our food and our water. And there's so many answers out there. I think we just need to diversify where we're getting our information and where we're getting, you know, our sense of soothing from. I'm not saying don't watch Netflix. That's also great. (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah I think like there's so many there really are so many good news stories amongst the the genuine um (laughs) horror that happens in our world as well but we're not going to find those we're not going to tap into those good news stories in our mainstream media because it's not geared to do that Mm. it's It's um, geared to make you feel despair and (laughs) put you under a table yeah and to consume and to feel disempowered and but you know like there's so many things we can do. We can, in, for you know, in terms of climate action, we can swap our bank 
and swap our energy provider and you know this is called divestment and we can swap our super that's three things that you could do this weekend and that's genuinely meaningful climate action you could um donate twenty dollars a week to an organization like groundswell which is a giving circle because in australia only two percent of um of of giving two percent of philanthropy goes towards climate no goes towards environment yeah. and less than that goes toward climate action you know or their seed mob they're an incredible first nations organization and if you don't have money then you could join a local land care group or there's just so many ways or you could volunteer at oz harvest or i don't know i just think doing always helps us feel a little bit less despairing yeah it's the whole being in service thing and i think it it's enriching in the sense and if we're if we're talking specifically about um actors who will will be listening to this um is it also doing those things also gives you a different perspective on life and allows you different experiences so therefore enriches your acting um enhances your craft you Mm. know so none of those things are ever you know it's it's an opportunity mm. those things so whilst you're giving you're also receiving enrichment totally and we've seen the australian film and tv industry shift to um incorporate a more diverse range of stories being told and and they've shifted who they assume their audience are as well and and who they prioritize as an audience And so the more that we diversify our life experiences and, you know, um, increase our appreciation for each other's stories, the, I think the more responsible we can be in, in our role as storytellers, you know, and Mm. the more we can appreciate the, the beauty in differences and the more we can write nuanced pieces of story as well. Um, And, and there's like, Man, I've seen some incredible, like, queer theatre and, like, you can't underestimate the transformative power of interesting storytelling. Like, that is change-making as well. You don't have to just join a land care group. You can be part of a genuinely diverse theatre group that's um, pushing the boundaries on how they tell stories or who they tell stories to, and that's powerful. Yeah, Mm. I think that's a great point. Yeah massive and I think it goes back to what you were saying of stories are told in very different ways than what you think that they should be told don't stick to the one idea of storytelling Mm. so hang on before we ask any questions specifically have you been are you taking a break from acting and stuff a lot of the acting I've done isn't it hasn't even necessarily been publicly released, like, yeah. um, but it's being used in education. And in the past, that was something where I was like, oh, I don't like real acting. But some of it is like things that teenage me would have only dreamt to be able to affect change in that area. Yeah, you know. So the fact that, um, yeah, I can be part of that, I'm really grateful for, and I don't see it as any less just because it's not on TV or it's not in an international this theatrical release. But no, I'm not having a break from acting. I've had a break from work yeah, okay. um, in general overall. Mm. Um, and, like, I really 
not done in traditional ways, it can be really hard for someone like an agent or a manager to understand how to represent me. Mm. And that's part of why, like, in a way, I've stopped worrying about needing anyone else to do that because the kind of work I do, do, it attracts more of it anyway. Mm. And, yeah, so that's kind of, like, why why you wouldn't be seeing me being put for castings or anything. If anything, I think I'm a much better storyteller now. I'm so much more grounded in my own authenticity and and Mm. no need to push kind of thing um, or perform, which Mm. when I think, I think when you're thinking that you want to be an actor, you start acting. And when you let go of that, then that's when you can do really compelling work. And that's where I feel I am these days in myself, but I, I don't kind of fit into like a traditional agent model so Mm. I think it fits in with the the whole idea of us um saying that there's no one way like there's no one way to do this it's not there's not a cookie cutter um pathway Mm. into whatever it is there are so many different um roads that you can take and you know uh because a lot of people just think oh you know I gotta go to drama school and that's it kind of thing if I don't get into NIDA, then oh, I may as well just go and... Or if I don't have an agent, I'll never work. Yeah. And a lot, and, and we are facing the reality, um, particularly last year's graduates and this year's graduates, of graduates coming out of, out of um, drama school and not getting representation because it's tough. And, you know, not, not just because of um, COVID, but also because these agents represent so many people that they, they also have to sell the people that are already currently on their books. Um, mm. So it is, it is an interesting way that it's evolving, I guess. I'm really happy to talk about this. Can you talk us through how you reframed uh, your acting in terms of, you know, uh, your many different ways of storytelling and, and how that can be perceived for instance, you know, not having to be seen on TV but still prov- still doing meaningful work as an actor. Sure. So I think when I was growing up and I thought about what it meant to be an actor, I saw people on TV and on the cover of Who magazine, you know, and in films, and that's what I thought being an actor was. I had a very traditional sense of what it means. And then over time, being part of meaningful storytelling that allows me to live my values in the world has really shifted what being an actor means to me. And that started out through being part of stories that speak to families and and help families engage with the outdoors and protect what they love. And that's been amazing. But then it moved as well into working with First Nations communities and, and, you know, more recently, um, I did a job for the NRL and it was a campaign about sexual consent. And I grew up in a town where there was a really strong footy culture. So it's a story in a way that's close to my heart. And I didn't even know that this education happened within the NRL. Um, but a friend of mine was doing the project and they asked me to play a lead role in it. And, and I got to be part of a story that just meant so much to me 
Now it's being used internally in the NRL to educate the, the players about what consent means. And it's not on TV. And there, you know, not many people would know that I did it, but it's something that I'm so deeply proud to be a part of. And alongside all the other people who are running that education campaign, as well as the people who are on set that day, you know, I'm just a small part of something that really hopefully will make a difference. And it has nothing to do with, with TV, you know, <laughs> or that, that idea of what being an actor used to mean to me. It means so much more. Mm. It's value. It's, it's like valuing your skill as, a, as an actor, as a great actor, to tell stories, like you're saying, in whatever way that is. And that's, yeah. it's, it's instead of using your skill as a good actor to be famous. Or, yeah, to be like, in the cinema. Yeah. Which is, you know, nice and, you know, for some I'm people. Sure rewarding, yeah. Yeah, but it's about, it's also about diversifying that as well in terms of creating a plethora of things that you can tap into, you know. Mm. Um, two, two things that I think of um, when you both um, just spoke. One thing is might need a trigger warning here. Yeah. Um, but... The beneficial like outcome on my heart wasn't alone in doing that job. It was also really good for my craft. When I played a victim of sexual assault in that video, I remember doing the prep work. And then when it came time to film, I was in a dark room and there was seven crews sort of standing back in the distance. And I remember feeling the collective experience of women um, and people who have been violated. Like it felt like I was a channel for experiences that were far beyond my own. And it was quite an out of body, but also so in my self experience. It was really, really powerful. And afterwards I went to the bathroom and I just cried. I was okay, I was, I was totally okay. But the weight of the experience just sort of poured out of me. And if you want to talk about being in your craft and being able to service the truth of a story, then for me, that that was it. In that moment, I was as much of an actor or a storyteller as I've ever wanted to be. I was as successful as I'd ever wanted to be. I was as of use as I'd ever wanted to be. And so it kind of, it's kind of strange and it sounds a little bit hyperbolic, but I was like, I don't care if I win an award for this. I don't even care if anyone else knows I did it, but I know that I could do that. And I know that I just helped serve many people's truths. Mm. Yeah. And also you, you would hope that you've created um, that feeling in, people who it was aimed at, which I assume it's NRL players, in educating them on these real experiences. Mm. And that is like, if you can create change in in hugely historically toxic environments, like, you know, I mean, we all know stories about NRL players, so we all get it. Um, and if you can even be a small part of maybe even changing one person's perspective or stopping one 
of those incidents, then that's like, that's like the most rewarding thing. Mm. Like I would just find that at the top of my list of like rewards Mm. out of my life if Mm. that, if I was you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I hope I was saying that it was, you know, of use to my craft and I felt, um, I, I felt really, um, I guess, harnessed by by knowing that I could be of service to that. It wasn't about an ego thing in that moment. It was about of knowing that I could have been mm. so deeply in the experiences and so of use. It was almost like an undoing of the ego story of mm. of why we think we want to be actors yeah. and what's the, what the point of storytelling is and what it means to resonate with an audience. Cause in a way, like when you're really deeply in a story, it's in the scene, it's in that, in the filming or on stage, you know, if you have really truly hit the moment, you know, if the chemistry is there and you know, if the people who are in front of you can feel it, you know, Mm. and and, and what that means is, is that you are doing service to the truth of the moment. Um, yeah, which is really, it is, it's a privilege to be part of something like that. It really is. Because obviously there's, you know, entertainment is really worthwhile as well. And there's so many ways that we can tell story and there's so many stories that are important. Um, this is just one area. Um, but yeah, it, it is a privilege and, it, and it, I did feel really grateful to be a part of it. Yeah, I think we, we have this conversation a lot because we do get uh, approached by certain companies or brands, not necessarily brands, but um, corporations that want to create content around for good cause or for purpose. Um, and we constantly have to have like a bit of a chat about like well I guess we'll just we all we can do is put it out there and see who wants to be involved but it's uh, it's quite amazing how many agents or people come back and still say it's not enough money yeah I'm always baffled by it but I think it's because of what you touched on before Marie and it's because you're going through an agent and their sole purpose is the business model and Mm. how can I make money off of off this actor right so if you as an actor are not um very clear about what your goals are and how and your values. how you want to yeah how you want to um select roles then the agent is the gatekeeper really and they're i mean a lot looking- of actors think the casting director is the gatekeeper but really for us it's very difficult um it's very difficult when we have these four purpose yeah. things where we just think that that most actors would be happy to absolutely be want to do it um but that role is declined on their behalf before it even gets to them mm. which i find insanely infuriating yeah. it's and the you know, one thing that infuriates me you know because the email comes back within a minute yeah Sorry, yeah, not enough money. No, yeah. and it pisses me off to any agents listening that do this. It pisses me off to no end. Mm. I think it's interesting because um, I have not had much experience being represented by agents because I kind of don't fit within the system very neatly. And even people who've really like tried to extend themselves beyond, beyond the usual way that they work, um, which I really appreciate that they did, it was still challenging 
because there's a system at play that is based on time restraints and capitalist you know concepts yep. that as actors or performers we're products and so we have to have a certain brand and we have to fit within certain you know walls and when you don't that is really hard because um the whole system operates i guess off a certain currency uh and so that's why i think you know giving it a go is a is a great thing but if you don't fit within that or you can't find an agent who gets you especially now when people are really standing within their own individuality and and individuality and non-actors are being so valued in the industry don't don't give yourself away to try and fit in and because as much as i seem like i've really stuck stayed true to myself i i have tried to fit in many many times and and it yeah and if anything it's cutting off your nose to spite your face like yeah <laughs> it totally yeah. is yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i i do i will make a note though i do understand that the agent is there to protect the actor from you know mm. unpaid work when it's not fair but from i'm talking specifically about charitable and for purpose um, projects which al and i do pro bono mostly or just for a fee that covers our bare minimum costs. So we're not, we wouldn't, we would never ask somebody to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. Yeah. Um, and we, we don't, we also don't engage in projects that we don't fully support. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. I get it's hard to like, I agree with you totally. And I think most um, agents have, you know, their, they, I, sorry, that's my phone. I think most agents are, are doing the best they can within a certain system as well, you mm. know, and and that's what I love about you two and, and your um, Chicken and Chips team is that in a lot of ways you are challenging that system and what the givens are and that's also what's so refreshing even walking into your space and doing an audition because particularly for me, I've never felt so accepted and so able to be my best self you know doesn't mean I always get the role um but it has at least been a beautiful experience so I think if anything just having people gradually trying to shift the way that the system or the industry works then that's where we're going to see some change both for for agents and for casting directors for actors and talent and talent as well you know we have to pay our bills and in an in a society that doesn't value artists and, and yep. the fabric that storytelling gives our society enough, then it's really hard. You know, I definitely am not in a financial place that a lot of people would assume I am in. If I'm really honest, I'm just absolutely not because I do so much value-led work and I work with people who you know what they give back in reciprocity isn't always money it's probably something i need to be more attentive to definitely moving forward but you, you kind of can't choose to work with exploitative companies and also i don't know say that you're living your values well yeah i mean we talk about this all the time with um you know because we we do a lot of commercial casting obviously and over the years i think actors built up this 
sort of story in their minds that if they said no to an audition because of a moral standpoint that they would just get blacklisted from every other audition that we ever asked them to come in for which is not the case and I I assume that must be the case elsewhere because they've got that in their head from somewhere Mm, something's happened along the way I think to feed that narrative Mm. but I think it's really important for actors to know that if you have certain values for instance I'll use this specific example of you know people who are vegan who come in for a commercial, you will be expected to eat chicken on the day of the shoot if you get the job for 10 hours straight. That's the job. Do you want to be in a commercial and do you want to do that? Is that that a part of your values? Because I've had actors really conflicted about this stuff and it's just like... Mm. and, And it's because of the... It's this thing that we're talking about with the capitalist notion of I need to pay my bills mm. as well I've got bills to pay which is valid you yeah know, that's, if, if it's about having care and compassion you know for ourselves and for the planet I just said you know you can't work with exploitative companies and still live your values now that's a really dogmatic view you can't and you also can because mm. um sometimes by engaging with certain companies in the private sector it helps them move further along a a sustainable path as well, depending on how you engage with them. And also like, if you're so fucked that you can't pay your bills and you just can't eat nutritious food and you're unwell and you know, that you're in a state of dysbiosis, when we're not able to be, you know, um, our best selves or Mm -hmm. abuse to the planet either. We can't, we're making choices from a place of scarcity and from fear. Like, it's really hard to find a balance to be able to look after ourselves and pay our bills and also live by our values. Mm. It's, it is. It's so tricky. Yeah. But I think yeah. it's important to note as well that we, we, while we still get frustrated at agents who say no and it's, it's for purpose and it's not enough money, like, we advocate on the other end of the spectrum, like what you're saying, and we appreciate that sometimes your morals can't get in the way of everything, but whilst we do pro bono work and would like people to do um, rewarding for purpose projects, Steph and I are huge advocates for ensuring that actors are paid properly Mm. for jobs that should be paid. And that can go into film and TV and ensuring that hopefully there's just at least minimums. Um, But commercial brands, we expect them to be able to pay appropriately. Well, yeah. actors are working humans who need to pay their bills. Oh, my God. I can't tell you how many times I have had the conversation of just like your... So say the fee is five grand for a commercial, but it's for 12 months. And they just they just think that this... Per, that, that, like if you think of someone's salary and that's the only job they get that year, it's $5,000. So divide that by 52 weeks... How do they and live? how the fuck does that person live? So it's like, think about it. It's like it's like people think about artists as something else, not as a valuable employee and a valuable part of that corporation. Even if they're only there for one 10-hour day for a commercial shoot, they're still a part of that brand for the day and, and the representing while. the brand while they're in contract. And all the while they'll get frustrated because they're not available for the callback at the exact time that they want them available because they're at their other job. And it's like, well, they have to be at their other job because you're only paying them five grand for a year's worth of work. Yeah, which oh. is kind of an interesting thing because 
One thing that I've noticed is that it's a lot easier for people who come from privileged backgrounds to be actors. Mm-hmm. Even even as someone who moved from the country to the city, I don't have parents who can pay for me to live in Sydney and go to NIDA and not have a job to cover it. Like there's, there's so many ways that privilege can play out, you know, when it comes to who we're seeing on our screens and who's getting to be part of the storytelling. Yeah, yeah. We were just, we were literally just talking about this with another guest, but um, I 110% agree with you and it infuriates me to no end. And I think that it's, we're starting to see a little bit of a shift. Um, But yeah, this kind of culture privilege thing is, it really irks me because it means that as a society, we are exposed only to those kinds of people that may not have lived experiences of the roles that they are telling. Mm. Um, so it, re- it really shits me. And it's- it doesn't mean to say that those people who are from a privileged background shouldn't be actors. They absolutely can be. But we need to not let them overshadow the other people who don't have access to that education or from backgrounds that can't yeah like you say afford to live in Sydney and not have another job like they can't overshadow that Mm. yeah and you know it's interesting like people probably look at me and go well you know she's in a show that's on tv so she wouldn't you know be fine like even one of the google searches for my name is about my net worth and someone estimates it at around a million dollars which isn't even that much objectively to some people but there's no way like Oh my gosh, seriously. Mm. Um, you know, but you, when I, when I, um, the first actor awards that, that I think we saw you, yeah, yeah, with you two, um, yeah, yeah. Like I had literally got dressed in my car at the Star Casino. I'd paid to get my hair done, but I had done my own makeup and got dressed in the car and I was wearing a dress that I'd bought like a few years earlier that I was maybe going to wear as my wedding dress. And then I, I did it like, you know like that's the reality in a way and I'm not special like that but yeah it's weird yeah it it goes back to this thing of like um tall poppy we've got the tall poppy syndrome thing here because everyone who is successful you know holds their cards very close and there are no doors opened Mm. and we experienced this when we went to the states for the first time as like naive little babies um when we went to meet with some of the studios over there in LA and everyone just wanted to open every door for us and they were like oh great you want to you want to cast tv us tv parts perfect who can we uh how can we help you how can we help you do this and I was literally like fell off my chair I was Mm. like I cannot get a fucking meeting at any tv production company in Sydney Mm. without basically having to give them my firstborn child um and every and everyone's just got this slice of pie that they're like i will hold this slice of mm-hmm. pie and i will give it to no yeah. one mm. and it's this a, is a scarcity mentality it's too. a scarcity yeah. mentality and i think i mean i guess yeah i guess when we opened chicken and chips it was the whole privilege thing was like no we're gonna open the door to everyone and if you if you want to know the information then it will be widely available for you to find mm. um that's incredible i think we also need to like 
stop romanticizing the end point like when people are successful yes. Yes. even even social uh, sorry reality tv and social media that's meant to help us sort of take away a bit of that you know um haze that makes people's lives look shiny if we only choose to show the shiny bits then people think that that's what the reality is mm -hmm. you know and and unfortunately the algorithm supports that and you get more likes if you're sitting at a fancy restaurant with a glass of champagne or if you've got a hummer car or if you know like mm -hmm. totally and i i think we need to kind of um and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that that but i think we also need to show like the truth of what it means to be an artist mm -hmm. and be part of storytelling and also enjoy the process because i think you know when i was growing up people would talk about talent and you kind of think, oh, if I'm talented, then I'm going to get there. And it's about so much more than that. It's about enjoying the doing of the work. Yeah. And that's very unglamorous sometimes. You know, you're in rehearsals for 10 hours, you're in tights, maybe your tights have holes in them because, and you're eating a sandwich because you can't afford, to, you know, like it's not all awards shows and it's not all fancy lunches, even though some, you know, there are moments like that that's just not the day-to-day -day reality of what it means to be an like an artist and mm. so you have to really love being part of part of teams I think as well yeah. sometimes you know as an actor because it's it is teamwork and also just part of doing the work yeah yeah we yeah, you I just think have to love it yeah and I think it is very underestimated that collaboration part of it mm. because I think actors do get in their own head and it's all about me 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 and I need to be my best and if I'm my best the, it'll be the best and everything is based on me being my best but it's like but unless you're collaborating well within a group it's just it'll never work mm. yeah and we do look at that when we audition people we see what it's like to work with you in a room for a 15 minute audition imagine if that's unbearable imagine what three months on set's like god yeah i think there's sort of some myths about the industry with some of the like most elite actors and actresses who can get away with all kinds of behavior yeah because of you know what they contribute to net worth of projects and mm -hmm. stuff but generally it doesn't they're matter the one percent though work. sorry they're the one percent yeah totally and so generally, whatever industry you work in, people want to like the people they're working with, mm -hmm. you know, because often you do your work and then you go home to your family or your life, you know. Mm. And so if it's going to be a, a nice working experience, then that's great. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that we look for in in-person auditions. And we say this, like, this is probably a running theme of this podcast, but um you know, when you, the minute you walk in the door, your audition starts, right? It's not when the, the, the office door, like when you're the, in the waiting the room, office door, yeah. not the audition room door, mm. the office door. So when you're in the waiting room, how you conduct yourself, what conversations you're having with other actors in the waiting room, mm. what you're talking about, uh, when you come in, how you conduct yourself, how you treat the assistant. There's a big one. Mm. Um, you know, so there's all these things that we look at. And it's to determine whether or not you, as a human being, not as an actor, as a human being, will be capable of working in a team on set for X amount of time. And, and that could be weeks, months. We know the director. So we know what that person's like. 
mm-hmm. and who they like and who they don't like and what kind of vibe they are and we have that mm. it's such a good point as well I've I've been lucky to work as an assistant director and um as a stylist as well uh so in a few different capacities in like film crews and it's given me such a great understanding of what each department's needs are and what everyone's trying to achieve and it also has helped me to understand that like any kind of magic it's when everyone's working together that it becomes greater than the sum of its parts yeah and there's this kind of alchemy or chemistry that happens and that's the most exciting thing that can happen but you've all got to just be in there doing your job and doing it well and be prepared and and that's when it can just sort of become yeah magical and that's a really good thing to know I think and it also is a relief because it takes a bit of pressure off your shoulders thinking that you're mm-hmm. at the center of attention yeah. when you're just one part of it yeah yeah it's also really good to have great respectful reciprocal relationships with the other departments particularly as an actor because an editor, what an editor does with your work mm. can make or break, you know, the, the, the work that you've contributed. That, they shape the story. Project. Yeah. 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 Um, I yeah. think it's really um, important when you said that, it reminds me of when Steph and I do chemistry tests. It's like we could have 10 actors that we really like for a whole bunch of roles, but when we put together a group as a chemistry test, everything goes out the window because suddenly you've got these, you might have four people in a room that weren't top of your list, but you've put them together and you're like, well, that's the best. That as an ensemble is just, because it is, it's the alchemy and it's the chemistry Mm -hmm. that you didn't see individually. Um, Yeah, there's so much. And making sure, and we always say this, that actors give space and respect the other actors in that process it's not all about them because the more they work together the more beautiful it becomes yeah exactly I love that. like an ecosystem yes, yes. wow you tied that in perfectly <laughs> i love it <laughs> that was beautiful well we should probably wrap up because yep. we've had a good old yarn yes i love i've loved this, this is um, amazing. we've got a couple of rapid fire questions that we ask everyone Okay. So it's just one word or Let's a short it. sentence. <laughs> okay. What's your most irrational fear? Hurting someone else. Mm. What's the best advice you've ever been given? This is a very rapid fire, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone says this. <laughs> you've got to learn how to suffer. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Ha, that hit me right in the heart. Mm, I know. Uh, what's the worst bit of advice you've ever been given? You'll always be a jack of all trades. And yeah. A master of none. <laughs> Excellent. What a yeah, fuck with that guy was. What an idiot. <laughs> what an idiot. Um, if you could create one law, what would it be? It would be to do with the democracy of species and that we are all, um, we all have a place in this world that humans are nature, that we are animals. Yeah. I love that. Who's your biggest role model? Biggest role model? I don't know. There's so many people that I listen to. But most recently, um, I've been listening to a book called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And, um, yeah, I really, really have deep admiration for her and I'm listening to her at the moment. Amazing. Beautiful. Look it up. All righty. The last one. Who would you cast as yourself in a film about your life? 
I probably wouldn't. I'd probably choose to tell someone else's story. That's a bit more interesting than a white chick at this point in history. <laughs> I love that oh, answer. But I was like, answer. I'm like, I'm going to think about that though, for the, and I'm going to let you know what I would, who yeah. I would cast as you. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I kind of think back to Kate Hudson. <laughs> yes. maybe. Yeah, you have I such Kate Hudson vibes. Vibe. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, no, let's ask or you. Or hang on, Kristen yeah. Bell as well, because Kristen I just think Bell. you're both like such adorable, beautiful humans. But if, so hypothetically speaking though, if we were to make a film about your life, what would the genre be? Oh yeah. We elaborated on this question last yeah. week. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, would it be like a, rom- like, what would it be? Would it be like a, a oh, dramedy? I think it's going to have like, it could be like a Oh, I feel like it's going to be like it's like a blend of a dramedy but a bit of documentary in there. Oh, I was going to say like I'm, I'm just taking over be here. some info. I feel anyway, you can you can weigh in on that, Marie. Oh, but this is so entertaining. <laughs> well, I, well, I was going to say post-apocalyptic um, romance. Shit. Post-apocalyptic romance. I was going to say. <laughs> wow. Hey, okay, let's keep romance, but the romance will be with the planet rather than a person. I think. Love. And I would think of it as like a love letter to the planet. So a bit of like an eco documentary, maybe like yeah. surf film vibes, like seventies. Oh, blue 70s crush, <gasps> blue crush documentary kind yeah. of vibe. Oh yeah, that'd be cool too. Yeah. yeah. But I think like. I'd prefer to maybe do like a feature length of the things that I love about the planet, like, you know, my POV rather than of me yep. being in it. And it, so it being like, yeah, sharing of all the things that I love. I think I prefer to do that. I love that. Wow, we really we went deep that. on that. I yeah. think we we should workshop so that with every are, guest when now. So when are we going into pre-production? Yeah. Well, I think we're done. We're pretty good. We can start pretty quickly. Does Can anyone want to produce this for Can us? You get some money. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just put the shout out with a link of a donation in the show notes. I'm just going to go full screen Australia and see what I can get. Knock knock. Oh, uh, thanks for hanging out. It was so nice. Thank you for thanks joining. Thanks for coming on, Marie. We've so loved this chat and we love you. We love you. Can't oh. wait to see what you do next. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. I'll see you both soon. Yes. Big love. Thank Ooh. you. That's the end of the episode. So we hope you enjoyed it and don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, and comment, share, whatever you do. Um, so tell your people. people. Yeah, tell your people so other people can also benefit from the clusterfuck that is Stefan Al. See you next time. The source is recorded on Gadigal land. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land in which we live, work, and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture.